You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to you, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Rob, hey, buddy. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. How you doing, Gary? You know, I'm, I'm hanging in there over here. You know, you, you, you got it. I, it's, I take it all? one day at a time, brother. That's how you got to do it. It's the only way I know how, you know. I mean, I make plans. You've got to be a visionary. You've got to have ambitions. You've got to be motivated. And you've got to have both short-term and long-term goals, of right? Of course. But- you also got to take it day by day because you don't know what life is going to throw at you on a daily basis. That could throw so true. a speed bump in front of you. Speaking of goals, you know, a lot of people have a goal to own a home, obviously. And uh, their first goal. home. Major goal. Um, I think I, I've seen really a lot lately, a lot of sticker shock from first time buyers. <laughs> uh, and I say sticker shock because... People think and they talk to, you know, uh, family members and other people that have bought homes before and they get told one thing and then they finally go through the process and their loan officer or mortgage advisor gives them some real truth. And maybe it's different than what they thought. Um, there are some hidden costs to buy a home. And I really wanted to talk about that to really give some insight to someone that's about to buy a home or yeah. thinking about that as a goal over the next year, next couple of years, so that there's not the sticker shock because there's so many things that go into it. And I want to break some things down, some different terms that you, you hear thrown around. I want to delve into that. I also want to talk about those hidden costs and what to expect so that you're not caught off guard when it actually comes time to go forward with your closing. You know, what a timely topic, because right now um, we see, well, an increase, quite frankly, in, in you know, home, asking prices for for homes. And I think we talked, somebody had asked a question in last last week's show, you know, about, you know, you sell right now. Yeah, but you got, but are you also buying right now, especially if you're staying within state or are you, are you, I mean, I guess the only way that would really work out is if you were selling, if you were downsizing your home and therefore you were buying a, a smaller home mm -hmm. with, with with a less uh, a lesser fee, you know, yep, a, less, a lesser yep. asking price, I should say. Um, and that's that case, it probably could work for you. Or if you were moving out of state, you know, because the Connecticut money is a little bit different than maybe some of the other sure. you know states in our nation. Then, based on on this topic, then let's just start off with something rather elementary. Um, maybe explain the difference between the list price and the sales price. And let me add something to that. Now. As you already know, it's going beyond both those. Right. It's going beyond the sales price or the list price, the sales price. You know, there's you could have an asking price, but I've known I've known people have gotten into bidding wars, sure. and they've given more than what the asking price is. So definitely maybe talk about so that as well. What is a list price? The list price is what the seller is going to pick to market their home at. So that's their number. Typically, a seller's going to, if they have a realtor involved, normally they would, mm -hmm. they're going to strategize with that listing agent to look at comparable homes, to look at the market, to look at the economy, to look at all of these factors and come up with 
that price that's going to go online when you're looking at a website or the MLS or something, what is the price that it's going to be marketed at? That's the list price, okay? So it's like if you go to the store and a pack of gum is $1.99, that's what the list price is, okay? Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the sale price now because it's different. The list price is not the sale price. The sale price is the actual price that the home ultimately sells for. So like you were alluding to, Gary, in this market, the sales price can be a lot higher than the list price. Because there's bidding wars, there's, you know, all this stuff going on, all this competition. So people have to bid up the price in order to be the one that ultimately gets your home. Now, if you're at a store like a Walmart or a Home Depot, you can't negotiate on the price of a tool or on the price of a good. When it comes to a home, though, there is a negotiation process. And that's why the list price versus sales price exists, because the list price is just a suggestion of what it's being marketed at, what the seller wants it to sell for. But I've seen him sell for a lot more, like you said recently. And then you go back even a year or two ago, and it wasn't normal to even get the list price. It could be a couple thousand dollars less. It could be twenty or thirty thousand dollars less in a buyer's market, or if there's some issues with the home that need to be resolved. So understand that the list price is just the marketed price. The sale price is that final price that someone's going to pay for it after the negotiations, after the transaction is complete. And sometimes the sale price can change all the way up until just before the closing because of inspections, appraisals, and repairs. Why? Right. Let's say uh, I get approved for uh, a $300,000 home. Okay. Does that take into account taxes? Yeah. When we're pre-approving you, we're going to give an estimate or use an estimate on the taxes. And I tell all my buyers and their agents, here's the tax amount that I use as an estimate. Here's the insurance amount I use as an estimate. Because a a $300,000 house in Middletown is going to have different taxes than a $300,000 house in Hartford, right? Sure. So that's the thing is we have to really run those numbers again once you are getting under contract to make sure it works. Sometimes you might find a house that's a lower price, but the taxes are much higher. Or you might find a house for a lower price, but the taxes are much higher, that sort of thing. So understand that your down payment and the closing costs and the figures that we ultimately use to get you into the home, those are based off the sale price, that that final price. So even if the house was listed for 400, if you're paying 410, then 410 is the number that we're basing your percentage down, et cetera on. Conversely, if it was four hundred thousand and you're getting it for three seventy five because you negotiate with the seller that all these repairs need to be done, they're going to lower the price or whatnot. Then we're going off that lower price. So again, the the price you see online is the list. So price. you can't just amortize it based on the sale price. You have to factor in tax as well, right? Yeah. Well, the amortization, because you use that word amortize. So I want to be clear that the amortization of a mortgage, which is how quickly it gets paid down, it's based off the principal and interest. It's based off the price of the home and that ultimate sale price. The taxes and the insurance, even if you have no mortgage, those are going to have to get paid, right? So the taxes and insurance amount does affect your approval, but it doesn't affect the actual amortization on how quick your mortgage gets paid down. A 30-year mortgage is going to be a 30-year mortgage, assuming you make the minimum every month, whether your taxes are 5000 a year or 10000 a year. The mortgage amortization is just based off the principal and interest, not the taxes and insurance. And I'm glad you brought up neighborhood because a three, you're right. You said this yourself just a moment ago. A $300,000 home in one town 
isn't the same as a three hundred thousand dollar another home. Your neighborhood has everything to do with city, it. City, jurisdiction, yeah. neighborhood, all that. Even you just go a couple ta- a couple streets over, same house can be same, thousands different. Same in town, taxes. same town. Yeah, absolutely. What is earnest money? Yeah, so earnest money. A lot of people get uh, caught up in this because they don't understand what it is. Earnest money. We we refer to it and abbreviate as EMD, which stands for earnest money deposit. So if you see EMD anywhere. That's what that refers to. And the earnest money is the buyer putting down a deposit up front. You put it down at the time that you sign the contract and put an offer. It shows that you're serious about buying the home. So if you say to the seller, I want to buy your home for 300000 but you don't have any money to put in the game here, then, okay, well, great. You want to buy the house? I'm going to keep marketing it to others. But when you put, say, 300000 and you put a 1% earnest money deposit, now you're saying, here's $3,000 to show you that I want to buy your home, to show you that I'm serious, to show you that I'm qualified. It's normally 1% to 2% of the price of the home, that earnest money deposit. So you can do the math on that, pretty easy to figure out. In this crazy seller's market that we've been in here recently, I've seen the uh, earnest money deposits go up quite a bit. I've seen them as much as 4 5 even 10% of the price of the home, which is crazy if you think about it. Um, if somebody really wants a house and they're putting a big down payment or they're paying cash anyway, then it, it you know makes sense. They can show they're serious. If you're putting a 5% earnest money deposit and another buyer is only putting 2% earnest money deposit, it just shows that you're more serious. It shows that you may be better qualified, that you have better financial backing. It's going to entice the seller to take your offer over someone else. But the other thing is, Gary, that there's usually more than one earnest money deposit. So you put one down initially, all right, but then typically, not always, but I would say maybe 70% of the time I see there's going to be a second deposit put down. Usually it's after the inspection. So you put that initial one down at the time that you're putting in the offer to get the offer accepted. Then you go forward with your home inspections. And we've talked about how important those are in almost all cases to do. Then once that inspection is done, you've renegotiated if there are any repairs or items that need to be handled. Then at that point, you have a couple days to put down that second deposit. The second deposit could be another 1%, another couple percent. It could be just a flat amount, another 5,000. It's just a second amount of money that's going to show them, hey, now that we've gone through that due diligence period, we've done our homework, so to speak, on the property. Now we're going to give you even more money to show you that we're serious about this deal and we're ready to move forward with the transaction. Now, side note, should something happen and the inspection goes haywire and there's all these issues and you want to back out of the deal, normally in your contract, you have the opportunity to do that and you'll get back that earnest money deposit. All of it. All of it. it. Unless it's stipulated in the contract that you don't get back a portion, which it normally is not, that would not be smart, but I have seen certain cases on very desirable properties with a lot of offers where that's how the realtor will get them to accept the offer, say, you know what? We're not going to deal with any inspection issues. It's for information purposes only. And if the deal doesn't close, you guys can keep the deposit. Well, as a seller, that sounds great, right? Mm. I don't have to repair anything. And if they back out, I get to keep the deposit, thousands of dollars typically that it'll be. So, you know, it's unfortunate for a buyer. I've seen scenarios where the realtor negotiates and the buyer doesn't really understand what they're getting into and they do lose that money. But it's very rare. Most of the time- The contract's going to be to protect you, and it's going to help out. And that money is credited, by the way, towards your closing costs. What are what are some common unexpected fees other than what you you know the earnest? Um, 
when buying a home. Yeah, there's so many of them. So credit report fees, origination fees, escrow fees, attorney fees, courier fees, processing fees, recording fees, notary fees, homeowner association transfer fees. And there's others on top of that. And I know it sounds crazy, but that's just that's just a, a one helping of those fees. So how are you going to know you're going to get a loan estimate from your mortgage advisor early in the what process? What can this total up to be, though? Closing Three, costs are 10 can, grand a loan. It, well, okay. it depends. I tell my buyers, and I know a lot of my realtor partners that have been doing this a while, depending on the area, the taxes and the particulars, anywhere from 3 to 5% of the price of the home on top of your down payment that is going to go to these, um, you know, these closing costs, these other fees, prepaids. So that's the other thing unexpected is the prepaid items. That's paying your insurance up front, collecting money in the escrow to pay your insurance, as well as paying your property tax. A lot of people buying homes right now in Connecticut, the taxes are due in January. Well, if you're buying a home in December, we're going to pay those January taxes at the closing. That's going to be rolled into your closing costs. If you're not expecting it, that could be many thousands of dollars that you have to come up with that you may have not been educated on. This is why I really have a big emphasis in my practice on the loan estimate and reviewing it and education and knowledge because the loan estimate will detail all of these unexpected fees so that they're not unexpected. Because if you're not buying a home and you're not closing for a month or two and I'm giving you a loan estimate within a week of you putting in that loan application, it shouldn't be unexpected. Now we're showing you all this stuff up front you know, you understand it. You know what's required. I usually even buffer it a little and I'll tell my buyers that, you know, have an extra thousand or two available in case something else comes up because you just never know what can happen through the process. Something else that may be needed, like a land survey or a reinspection on an appraisal, these type of things. So a couple hundred here, a couple hundred there. It can really add up. So again, the gist is you need to have a mortgage advisor that's going to really walk you through this because your realtor's not. The appraiser, they're not. The home inspector is not. The one that it really sits on the shoulders of is the loan officer, the mortgage advisor. And if they're just sending you a bunch of docs and you're signing them and not really looking, you're going to have a rude awakening when we review it with you a few days before closing. What about an appraisal? Yeah, appraisals are super important. So appraisals make sure that the buyer is not overpaying for the home. So your example, $300,000 home. We're giving you money based on the home being worth 300000 We have the appraiser go out as the lender to ensure that the home is worth at least 300000 or more. If it's not, then we got to renegotiate. You need to make up the difference. There's, you know, some protocols that we go through. Most of the time, that's not happening. But nowadays. they could turn around and say, "Yeah, but this, this right now things are this is exactly. the wild wild west right now. I don't exactly. care what you think it is. We, you know, we're, this is what we so want." So it's not a huge problem lately. I'd say it affects in my uh, my practice less than ten percent of the appraisals are coming in short right now because the market is so hot. But the appraiser is going to evaluate other homes in the area within a few mile radius, see what they sold for. They're going to uh, look at What's the most recent sale? And the more recent, the more weight that it's going to have. Um, they're going to look at comparables. So just because a house sold down the street from yours, let's say that house is a five bedroom, yours is a three bedroom. Just because it's on the same street doesn't mean it's comparable. When we're talking about comparable homes, it's homes similar style. Tit for tat. Yeah, yeah, similar bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, that thing. And like I said, appraisal coming in low, it's everyone's worst nightmare. But if it's going to come in low, if it's only a couple thousand, most of the time it can be renegotiated. That's where an expert realtor um, comes in to guide you through. All these additional costs. What are some of the other ongoing maintenance costs when it comes to owning a home? 
So when a buyer gets their first home, they're really fixated on that down payment, the closing costs, those unexpected fees and things, right? They aren't thinking about what is it going to be after the closing? What other expenses and costs am I going to have after the closing? So really, it's ongoing maintenance costs are the main things we're talking about. Um, one thing a lot of first-time buyers, you know, it crosses doesn't cross their mind is furniture. You you know, you went from a two-bedroom apartment to a three-bedroom, two-bath, sprawling home. You got to furnish the home, right? It's going to cost money. Unfortunately, I see a lot of buyers getting into debt right after they buy a home to get that furniture. You don't want to do that. You want to plan ahead. Utilities. It's probably going to cost more money to pay for utilities on a single family home or multifamily home than it did in your, again, your apartment. Maybe you're living with parents or family members, that sort of thing. So you got to think about utilities. Oil, is it oil or gas? How much is that? That's something to be asking. Like before you even put an offer in, you want to be knowing what's the cost on this property? Are there, uh, you know, is it oil? Is it gas? Because that's going to affect how much things are going to cost on utilities. Um, if there's energy efficiency issues, your electric bill might be higher. That could be an issue. Um, cleaning costs. You know, you have to have things cleaned. You might need a cleaning lady or something. Landscaping, <sighs> gutter cleaning, repairs, oh, boy. All right. snow plowing. You're killing me. Oh, my goodness. This what, all has well, to be taken no, into account, though. I know I understand, but what do you say to somebody like me who just feels so overwhelmed by the cost to buy a home? I agree it can be overwhelming. It was for me, too. I bought my first home at 22 years old. It was very overwhelming, you know, to see all these costs and think about the long term of owning a home. But you really got to look at the pros. Do the pros outweigh the cons? And ask any homeowner, and most of them will tell you yes. Yes, there are properties that aren't great, and there are certain situations that you bite off more you can chew. Mm -hmm. But I would like to say that's the minority, right? That's okay. not most people. If you talk to someone that's owned their home 5, 10, 15, 20 years, they'll tell you they're happy they own their home. And the extra expenses we're talking about here are worth it, um, but it does take some time to recoup those expenses. You know, you can't just buy a home and then a year later sell it. You're going to end up in the in the red if you do that. So understand that even though there's all these expenses with buying a home, let's turn the tables. What about renting? What are your expenses for renting? If you compare renting versus owning right now, especially with rents going up, just like home prices are going up, a lot of the time, it will make more sense to buy, even with these extra expenses. Because again, the rent can keep going up, yeah, whereas your mortgage payment can stay static. As long as you can get you know, approved, as long as your credit is, is good. It, Absolutely. You, know. you don't even need great credit anymore to buy a home. You know, you can have, I've helped people recently with as low as a 580 credit score, which is definitely in the fair to poor range, without a doubt, that have been able to get approved for some of these government loans we've discussed. Um, the other thing is, even if your mortgage is the same or even a little more, realize that with a home, you are actually building every mortgage payment, you're building equity. Every mortgage payment, you're building uh, savings in the in the home. So that's a huge thing. And a pro realtor is key because they're going to help you make good decisions around buy versus rent, around where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, along with... Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. You're certainly going to want to check out his website at ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Phone number is 860-413-3938. I will provide those for you once again, as well as an email address for you to write to him. Hey, maybe we can get your question answered uh, next week or the week after um, at the end of the show. Um, what is your top 
I don't know, maybe what is your top advice um, for people who are looking to save? You want to save up for your first home. So let's talk. Pretend okay. right now you're talking to somebody in there who's 18 to 25. Okay. Okay. So understand that the home purchase is going to be the largest purchase you make in your life. It's bigger than anything else from a dollar standpoint. So treat it like that. You want to plan and you want to plan ahead. The earlier you can start planning, the earlier you can start saving, the more successful you're going to be when it comes to buying a home and the less stressful it's going to be during the home buying process. Realize that credit and savings take time to build. Most people aren't making six and seven figure incomes when they buy their first home. So don't just think you can call a mortgage lender and if you don't have money saved, tomorrow you're going to get pre-approved and buy a home. In most cases, that's not going to be the case unless you have you know, a family member giving you gifts or that sort of thing. So begin with the end in mind, get with a mortgage lender early and get that credit plan, get that savings plan so that you can make sure you hit those timelines you're looking for. Okay. Um, that's the best advice I can you can think of. I mean, if you're it's tough. These kids, we're talking about being overwhelmed. You want to talk about oh, being overwhelmed when you're, you said you were 22 years old when you bought mm-hmm. your first home and you, and you didn't know what you know now. So you, sure. you've been in their shoes. Yes. What are some of the common pitfalls uh, for first time home buyers then? One common pitfall that I see is, you know, where are you keeping your savings? Where's the money that you're using to buy a home? If the answer is it's in the stock market, it's in, you know, something that's volatile, some sort of investment like that, that's not a good place to be saving for buying a home, especially if you're buying a home in the next couple of years. Because what if the stock market's down when you need to buy the home? You're going to sell everything at a huge loss just to buy the home. So that's the first pitfall. What if it's in your home, your present home? That's bad too. You don't want it in like cash. I have a lot of people met with a buyer yesterday that has like $5,000 sitting in a safe at their home. You can't use cash to buy a home. You need to get that in the bank. You need to get that money seasoned. So again, ask yourself the question, where are you keeping your savings? Where do you want to keep it? Money market, savings account, something that is not volatile, something that's very stable. You're not doing it to get interest on it. So you can't can't keep it. What if you can't use the money in your house to buy your next house? Like what if I've got all this money wrapped up in my house? equity you're talking about. Yeah, equity in my house. Equity, yes, you can to buy use, my next house. but we're talking to first, mainly first-time oh, right, buyers, right, you right, said. Sorry, so right. first-time buyers need to be keeping their money for buying a home in a non-volatile, like a savings money market, something that's liquid and easy to get to that won't have ups and downs. The other thing is you want to consider the break-even period. A very common pitfall I see with first-time buyers is people buying a home when they're only going to stay there for a couple of years. That's not a good move. If it's not at least five years then you really need to closely evaluate, is it even worth buying a home? Because in Mm. most cases, that break-even period could be anywhere from three to five years in a normal housing market. We're not really in a normal market right now, but this isn't the way it's going to be forever. Just because home prices have gone up 15, 20 plus percent in the last year doesn't mean they're going to do that next year, the year after. When do you see it going back down? I don't really see them going back down, Gary. I see it more stabilizing. We're starting to see that now. There's, you know, um, less less sellers and more buyers starting to come in. Um, it, with the time of year, like you talk about seasonality, there's actually less competition. Bidding wars. So oh. there's less bidding wars, though, this time of year. So we're starting to see it stabilize. Historically, real estate goes down 5 to 10% in the winter in New England. Truth be told, we're starting to see that happen now. It's going down a little bit. Are you going to see a 20% drop? Probably not. But are you going to see it stabilize maybe a couple percentage points? Yes, because the thing is that there's transaction costs to buy and sell. We were talking about closing costs. Wait until April there, my friend. What's the term house poor? What does that mean? 
Yeah, so house poor is a, it's a common thing that people have. It means that people feel broke oh, okay. uh, when they actually buy their home because they spent so much money up front on closing costs, on down payment, and now maybe they went from paying fifteen hundred a month, now they're paying two thousand a month or more, and it's like you feel completely broke. And we call it house poor because your home is the thing that's making you feel like that. But it's mainly really the first couple of years that that happens. Um, you know, then things level out. You feel more comfortable. One of the things that I have my clients do to combat being house poor or feeling house poor mm -hmm. is to set up a reserve after closing. Have a couple ah, thousand in savings, yeah. minimum. Have that emergency fund set up for these things so that you don't feel like every dime that's coming in is also going out. You also want to pad your monthly budget because of the unexpected costs that we were talking about of owning a home, like snow plowing and things of that nature. All right, so my, pad the budget. My final question, if you can get this answered in about a minute and a half. Okay. What is the best way to plan ahead? head for maintenance and other routine housing expenses. I'm sorry I keep going back to that. You just blew me away, though, when you were talking yeah. earlier about Well, me. having an emergency or rainy day fund is important, like we've been talking about. You want to make sure it's easily accessible. Savings account, money market, something that's tied to your bank account so you can easily transfer money to and from. The amount that you should have, I recommend three to six months worth of your expenses. So if your expenses are two grand a month, for all your, you know, everything, mortgage, utilities, food, et cetera, three to six months worth, do the math in your particular scenario. That's the amount that you want to have in your savings, in your emergency fund, and regularly top it off. If you take a thousand out for an emergency, then make sure that you're putting that money back in so that you don't end up house poor. Oh. <laughs> all righty. Boy, that's a lot of info there. It, it really is. I, I just, uh, I think... It's overwhelming realizing that it's not just the cost of the house or even the taxes or the appraisal fee. It's the maintenance. It's having money in escrow, you know. Um, it's really being just being knowledgeable and, and educated, Gary, because I think a lot of people just go in and they don't understand all these things. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to tell you. Like, the realtor's not going to tell you this. They don't want to discourage you from buying a home, right. mortgage lender included. But it's important and we have to do it. Closing and you costs. have to be... You have to be educated to make it a stress-free or a low-stress process. Earnest money, closing costs. I mean, it's not just if you buy a $300,000 home. It's not just, oh, it's $300,000. Exactly. Learned and th my seasoned real estate investors, they understand that. And yeah. once you get your first one under your belt, you'll understand that too. So don't be afraid. Just make sure that you're working with someone with knowledge and experience you. that's able to help. You. And we like to do that. Check out uh, Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut uh, Real Estate Edge Podcast website. It's real easy, ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Let me re I'll re say that again here for you. www.ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Now, if you've got a question, maybe it would not only, not only help you, it could help others who could benefit from listening to the answer. We could probably get it answered right here on these very airwaves uh, as, as soon as the next week or so. Simply email us at MortgageMattersRadioShow at gmail.com. Again, MortgageMattersRadioShow at gmail.com. And to make that appointment with Rob Weinberg, very important, write this phone number down, 860-413-3938. I'll say it again a little bit slower. Write it down, 860 413 3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next Saturday, have a good one, everybody. So long.
Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.